Good morning. It's good to be with you again this morning. We always enjoy uh, coming here to Airdrie and uh, meeting up again with old friends and making some new ones as well. So it's good to be here. Uh, we did have the opportunity this week to uh, see Ian Bremner in Hare Myers before he was moved, and he was in great form uh, and specifically wanted to be remembered to you when he knew that I was going to be here this Sunday. He said, oh, please take my love and greetings to the folks at Airdrie. Of course, he misses uh, not being able to be here Sunday by Sunday as he has been for so many, many years uh, of, his, of his life. But, uh, and I think the folks at uh, the staff at Hare Myers were sorry to see him go. He had made quite a, an impact uh, there on them with his bright smile, uh, still the same as ever. And that's a great encouragement. But it's good for him to be uh, here now at Coat Hill and some of you will get the opportunity uh, to visit him uh, now that he's much nearer at hand. Well, our Bible reading is 2 Kings chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the Word of God. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? 
Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And the verdict, as you see in the next verse, from the company of the prophets, is the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. May God bless to us that reading from his word as we look at it together. You maybe remember the story of the mother putting her three-year-old daughter uh, to bed. She got the wee girl uh, tucked in, settled down, kissed goodnight. She had said her prayers, and mother came back downstairs, tidied up downstairs, and then uh, sat down for uh, just a little bit of rest herself. Suddenly, there's a thump uh, from the bedroom upstairs, a moment's silence, and then a loud wailing and crying. And mother rushes up the stairs to find her daughter sitting on the floor, uh, rubbing the sleep from her eyes and crying uh, with fright. She had fallen out of bed. But uh, in a few moments, mum got peace restored, daughter tucked back into bed, calmed down and uh, under the covers. And as she left the room, the mother turns and asks the girl, darling, how on earth did you come to fall out of bed? I don't know, mummy, but I think I must have fallen asleep too near the place where I got in. It's not only three-year-olds who fall out of bed. Um, older people can do that as well, as I discovered this morning. Someone in this congregation who should remain nameless fell out of bed and hurt herself in the process. It's not so difficult to do, actually, if you fall asleep too near the place where you get in. And, I, and that's one of the big problems in the church today, the problem of lethargy. Uh, or even worse, not just uh, sleepiness, but actually spiritual paralysis. We get so taken up with the cares of this world. Jesus warned us about that. Or perhaps we begin to get plagued with doubts about faith. Or we begin to find church as we know it increasingly irrelevant to our lives these days, and, and we opt out. Maybe not totally, 
but, but our hearts are no longer in it. And we settle down, some of us, to a mediocre Christian life, which is neither satisfying to ourselves nor attractive to other people. And when that happens, in any appreciable uh, number, the church just begins to die, when more and more of its members become nominal uh, in their faith and in their worship. Some of you are old enough to remember Harry Lauder's song, song that he wrote after his son was killed in action in the First World War, Keep Right On to the End of the Road. I'm looking at Jim Leach. I should have had him up to sing it here. I don't think you've got bandy legs, have you, Jim? And a crooked stick. That's what you need. Keep right on to the end of the road. Keep right on to the end. Though you're tired and weary, still journey on till you come to your happy abode. Keep right on to the end. Should have been a hymn, I think, that song. Keep right on to the end of the road. The passage we're looking at here in 2 Kings chapter 2 tells us exactly that. It's an account of tremendous significance in the life of Elisha and indeed in the life of Israel. It concerns Elijah, the old prophet of God, and Elisha, the younger man on the threshold of a life's service. Um, Forgive me, because the two names are so alike, I'm no doubt get them mixed up as we go through this message this morning. Forgive me for that. But Elijah is the older man, the older prophet Elisha is the young one. And in this section of Scripture, Elisha makes a series of simple decisions, but decisions which are far-reaching in their consequences for the rest of his life, the whole of his life. He lived to serve God for another 55 years, nearly two generations of fruitful service for God as a result of the decisions made on this occasion. So it's important. And it would all have been very different if he had chosen the wrong way, if he had got lazy and complacent and taken the easy way out. So let's just look at these events and ask ourselves if God is speaking to us this morning through what was happening here. Because the stage is set for a tremendous occasion. Elisha had been with Elijah for several years as his personal servant and assistant. And now Elijah's work was over. The time had come for him to be taken into heaven. And in these last events, Elisha is being tested. No question about that. And I want us to notice in these tests, the temptation constantly before Elisha is to settle down where he is. Stay here was the word that Elijah gave him each time. So you'll see the story is concerned with four separate places, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. Now these places have to be of some significance on this journey, because each of them has been of importance in Israel's history, and there has to be some significance 
about Elijah choosing these places to go to, apart from the fact that there was a company of prophets at each of these places. But Gilgal is the first place. And stay here, says Elijah to the younger man. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now I want you to see what would come into the mind of Elisha as he thought about Gilgal. And so see the kind of temptation that is being presented to him here. Elisha, after all, is a kind of theological student, if you like. And he knew all the history of his people. Gilgal was the place of starting. You can read about it in Joshua 4 and 5. When the Israelites at last moved out of the wilderness into the land of promise, Gilgal was the first place they came to, the first place they stopped. It was a place of new beginnings for Israel. And Elisha is being tempted to do what many of us do, settle down right at the beginning, fall asleep too near the place where we get in. Gilgal was the place of cleansing from the past. It was at Gilgal that Joshua was commanded to circumcise all of the males. None of those born in the wilderness had been circumcised. And that was a sign of separation from the people around. That's why that sign had been given by God to the people through Moses. Sign of separation. A sign that they belonged to God. And God said, it's there in Joshua 5 verse 9, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. There's cleansing here. Indeed, that apparently is why the place was called Gilgal, because the Hebrew sounds like the Hebrew for roll or rolling. So Gilgal was a place of cleansing from the past. It was a place of satisfaction for the present. They kept the Passover for the first time at Gilgal. And for the first time, they ate the food of Canaan. For 40 years, they had been living on manna. But now, they were eating the milk and honey of Canaan. And that started at Gilgal. It was a place of great satisfaction for the people. And it was a place of direction for the future. It was at Gilgal that Joshua met the man with the sword in his hand. The man who came, Joshua said, are you for us or for your enemies? No, I'm here as commander of the Lord's army. I've not come to take sides. I've come to take charge. I've come to take over. And the commander of the Lord's army gave directions to Joshua and the people. So you see, Gilgal is a place of cleansing, a place of satisfaction, a place of direction, the starting place where blessing and strength are promised. But if we settle down here, we only have promises. Nothing is ever proved. No victories were won at Gilgal. No progress was made at Gilgal. It was a place for feeling happy 
and hearing promises. Of course, that's what the beginning of the Christian life should be like. It should be a place of cleansing, a place of great satisfaction, a place of direction when we begin to hear from God what is the way ahead for our lives. But we shouldn't stay there. It's not the place to stay. No wonder Elisha wanted to move on, to go on and experience more and more of the goodness of God. Some of us Christians at our Gilgal are content to stay there with the blessing of the Christian life, of being a Christian, of being saved, but not actually going on and developing and serving the Lord and discovering more and more of God day by day. Elisha didn't stay at Gilgal. Neither should we. So they went on to Bethel. That's what we read there in verse 2 of that passage. And here's a company of prophets living at Bethel. Now, this group, it's a loose collection of men interested in the prophetic. Some of the older translations are a bit misleading. Uh, Sometimes they're described as the sons of the prophets. That's that's, uh, totally misleading. Sometimes they're described as a school of prophets. And that's almost a bit too organized for what they were. It was just a fairly loose collection of people who were interested in prophecy. But Elijah almost certainly was the mentor and inspirer of these groups uh, around the country. And uh, here's a group of them at Bethel. And once again, Elijah speaks to Elisha and says, stay here. The Lord has sent me on to Jericho. It's another invitation to settle down, to settle down with young men like himself and to busy himself in their activities. So what memories would Bethel bring? Well, remember what happened at Bethel. Bethel is the place of dreams. Elisha would have memories of Jacob, stories in Genesis 28, having deceived his father and brother, fleeing from his home, night falls, you remember, and he finds a place to sleep. And that night he dreams his great dream of the ladder stretching up to heaven and the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And God speaks to him very clearly from heaven and told him what he was planning for his future. It was a place of dreams. And Elisha was invited to stay at Bethel and dream. Now, God-given dreams are very wonderful things, no question about that. May may be the very gate of heaven, as uh, Jacob described it on that occasion. But, But dreams are not ends in themselves. Jacob didn't stop there, and neither did Elisha. But sadly, many Christians do stop there. You maybe know some. Maybe you even are one yourself. 
dreaming dreams about the future, dreaming about how wonderful it would be if God were to use you in such and such a way or in such and such a place, living in a kind of fantasy land of what might be. Now, let me say this. I think probably almost all the great Christian enterprises and adventures of of yesterday and today have had their beginnings in, in the dream or vision of a waiting, praying Christian. Because the Bible tells us that where there is no vision, the people perish. We need that. Of course we do. But the point is this. These great uh, enterprises within the kingdom have never been completed by a dream. They've never been fulfilled with the dream. The dream might start it off, but the dream certainly doesn't bring it about. Stepping out in faith with God is what makes it happen. You and I mustn't just dream about what we're going to do. We need to get out there and do it. We need to get up and do it. Where there's vision, there is tremendous, there are tremendous possibilities for future blessing, provided we don't remain at Bethel, relaxing in our dream world. Elisha didn't stop there, and neither should we. So they went on to Jericho. And again, they're met by another group of the company of prophets who reminded Elisha that Elijah would soon be taken. Again, Elijah urges the younger man to stay there at Jericho. And here maybe was an even stronger temptation, because Jericho was a place of happy memory. Jericho was the place of great victory. Elisha would easily recall the story, what Jew could forget it how they had marched round the walls of Jericho until finally the walls fell and they went in and took the city in great triumph because God was with them. Indeed, God said that to them. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. He said that before the event happened and it happened exactly as God wanted it to. But notice, now Jericho is a place of past victory. It's history. And even at the time, Jericho gave false confidence to Joshua and the people. Do you remember that? So they thought the taking of the next little town of A would be easy. They didn't even need all their men to take A. Jericho gave them false confidence. And of course, they failed to take A because there was sin in the camp. And here's the trap into which many Christians fall, especially, I suppose, older Christians to stay at the place of past victory and talk about the good old days. Now, I don't know whether Morrigan and I are falling into that uh, trap, but uh, our son and his wife recently gave us a thing to stick on the wall 
which simply says, these are the good old days. <laughs> so maybe we were beginning to talk about the past, I don't know. But we need to be wary of that. It's very easy to fall into that trap and to steep ourselves in the stories of revival and try to relive the old days. But that will never bring uh, the kind of move that is needed, the spiritual move that is needed in our land these days. We, we, we're in a new age, obviously, with special problems and difficulties, but also with opportunities that we've never had before, opportunities which the Spirit of God is well able to meet, but able to meet in terms and the language of this century, not the last two. We need to recognize that. These are the good old days. Don't live in past victories. Of course, there is much to be learned, much to be learned from our Christian history. There's much to be learned from the old saints of God. Of course there is. But let's not try to relive their victories. We need to fight our own and win our own for the sake of the kingdom. Jericho, I suppose, was the Largs or Helensborough or Palm Springs or wherever people retire to these days, where they retire and talk about the past. And it's easy to do that. Someone has said that in God's service, you never get retired with an I, you only get retired with a Y and uh, set out to do more. The Lord, the state uh, may think you're too old to work, although ages ago we dropped the term old age pensioner, didn't we? Um, so we're no longer old age pensioners. We're senior citizens or whatever the current term is. But even if the state thinks you're too old to work, the Lord doesn't insult you like that. No matter what age you may be, don't write yourself off and think you can only just live on the memories of the past and past victories. Don't be tempted to stay at Jericho, basking in the days of past success. Elisha didn't stop there, and neither should we. So they went on to the Jordan, the final destination for Elijah. And he takes this young man who has insisted on going the whole way, on staying with him, who is determined that his committal should be absolutely complete. He takes this young man and they cross the Jordan. In other words, they go out of the promised land, back into the wilderness. And that's where Elijah left him. alone in the wilderness. But actually, for Elisha, it's the place of adventurous faith. True service for God began for Elisha alone in the wilderness. So, I want to say to you today, don't despair if you've been having a wilderness experience spiritually because it's not the end. It may even just be the start 
of a new beginning for you. Elisha now has to cross his own Jordan. He has to choose to go back in. And you and I need to do the same. Often in life, we need to make that choice. Elijah has gone, but his mantle, the symbol of his power, remains with Elisha. And here's the important moment in the young man's life. Once he recrosses the Jordan, he'll be back in Canaan, not as the servant of Elijah, but as the prophet of God, doing the work and ministry for which he has been called and prepared. And he stands before the Jordan holding Elijah's cloak. Never before had he really had to depend totally on God the way he's going to have to now. Always there had been Elijah to lean on and Elijah's faith to bolster him up. But now he must step out in his own faith. I wonder if that's true of someone here this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for some time, many years, but you've always sheltered behind someone else's faith. It's maybe been a pastor's faith. Maybe been your parents' faith, your husband, your wife, a friend. You've always kind of depended on them to keep you going spiritually. And now you're standing before your Jordan, and the Lord wants you to step out in your own faith. No matter how weak you feel that to be, to step out in your own faith and put him to the test and really start living for him. So Elisha strikes the water with the cloak and the water parts just as it had done before. And he goes down into the Jordan, the place which later in history was to be a place of baptism, a place of dying to self and rising to new life. Elisha goes down and rises on the other side, God's man forevermore. He refused to stay at Gilgal, the starting place. He refused to stay at Bethel and dream. He refused to stay at Jericho and live on the past. He wanted God's best, and he was ready to pay the price. A recognition of the power and presence of God in his own life, and a dying to self, and a constant commitment to keep God at the center and forefront of his life. I wonder, I spoke about Jordan becoming a place of baptism. I wonder for someone here this morning, that actually is the challenge for you, is to be baptized as a believer, to to nail your colors to the mast, to take your stand, to take the cloak, as it were, and strike the water with it. Maybe there's someone here who needs to do that. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe just fairly recently uh, become a believer, and you need to take that public stand uh, for the Lord. If that's true for you, then have a word with Ross. He would be more than happy uh, to speak with you 
to talk with you about the possibility of baptism. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, that's the initial challenge of the Christian life, come, come after me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. The self that demands constant recognition has to be denied, as Elisha did, and take up his cross daily. You know what that means? The cross is for one thing only. It's not just an ornament to be worn round our neck, though that can be worth doing. It's not even a burden to be born. Sometimes we speak of it like that, oh, he's got his cross to carry. No, no. The cross was for one thing only. It was for dying on. That's all it was for. For dying on. That's what Jesus means. When he challenges us to take up the cross, to die to self, and come and follow me, says Jesus. The journey goes on. We're on the move. There is no stopping. Keep going right to the end of the road. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this challenge from your word to us. No matter what stage we're at in our Christian lives, not to settle down too easily, but to keep looking forward and moving forward with you, recognizing that you go before us, that you lead us on into pastures new. Father, thank you so much that you are the living God. That while you do not change, while you remain the same, nevertheless, you always beckon us forward. And so we want to come with you, Lord Jesus. Yes, we are ready to die to self daily and to follow you. So fill us with your spirit that that journey will be a great joy day by day, sensing your presence and seeing you at work in our midst. To you be all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.